let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, crime has been on everyone's mind lately. The first homicide of DC's new year was recorded just an hour after the clock struck midnight on January 1st. Ward 2 council member Brooke Pinto just introduced a massive new crime bill. It's almost 90 pages long. Emily Davies, crime reporter at the Washington Post, explains what's in it and whether or not it will really make D.C. safer. Today's Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what D.C. is talking about. So crime is one of those issues that is always top of mind for folks here in D.C., and this new crime bill is huge. I just got finished reading it. It is a long read. It's like 90 pages long. It's almost overwhelming to get through. I know it's a combination of a lot of previously proposed initiatives, some of which we talked about on the show before, but what are the standouts in this 90-page piece of legislation to you? So as you said, Bridget, crime and D.C. and what to do about it has been the conversation in many ways over the last few months, and nothing in this legislative package is new. The most controversial provisions we've already discussed, both as reporters, city council members have discussed them amongst themselves, and there have been public hearings addressing most of these issues. So what residents should know about this bill is it's part of a legislative process to package all of these different public safety provisions under one umbrella so the city council can vote whether they want to move this all forward in in one go. So some of the things in this crime bill are things like higher accountability and penalties for crimes and establishing these safe commercial corridors. What are some of the other provisions in this piece of legislation that you think folks should know about? One of the most controversial provisions in here is around something called drug-free zones. Drug-free zones give the police department lateral or or room to declare a small area as quote-unquote drug-free, which makes it illegal to gather there for exchanging drugs, but really police can use that premise to clear the area. So that specific part of this bill has generated a lot of conversation in D.C. Some people have compared it to a law that passed in the 80s that was later repealed by the council sort of for its role in creating more of an incarceration crisis, frankly, and also for over-concerns about constitutionality. So that is one um, important piece of this bill that might generate some pushback from council members. It also does things that we've been talking about all year in terms of creating new gun charges and strengthening certain penalties for gun offenses. And it also makes it easier to hold certain juveniles and adults while they're awaiting trial. So as you mentioned, 
This bill is also changing penalties for various crimes, and it makes me think of the criminal code reform that D.C. Council passed last year, but which was then overturned by the federal government. How do you feel that these new proposed penalties compare to what has already been in the criminal code legislation? Like, are they harsher, more lenient? How should we really be contextualizing them? It's a good question. I think to compare the revised criminal code to this piece of legislation can help explain a lot about the political wins in D.C. and how residents and their elected officials are feeling about crime. The revised criminal code, which took years and years to put together, had certain provisions that decreased the maximum punishment, say, for crimes like carjacking. Those specific provisions at a time when homicides are at real highs in D.C. drew a lot of real criticism and was part of the reason that Congress overturned that piece of legislation. Now, this current omnibus package carries a completely different tone associated with it. The whole point of this bill, according to Councilmember Pinto and others, is to increase everybody's favorite word right now, which is accountability. (laughs) So almost every provision in here in some way toughens the response to crime. Not every provision, but many. And so what you're seeing in terms of penalties and sentences and pretrial holds, that all pushes DC in a slightly more punitive direction. David, thanks for chatting with me. So like you and I both have cars in the DC metro area and sometimes they're great, but sometimes they can be a hassle. And I heard you had car issues, man. Yes, my car like me is old and falling apart. (laughs) And so I wanted to get it fixed. But one of the truly unpleasant tasks I find in the world is getting your car fixed because you have to take it usually somewhere extremely distant, extremely inconvenient, arrange some alternate form of transportation. And so I heard about Rota, rota rota.com. And I went on the rota.com website And they will come and pick your car up, take it from you, and then do the work and bring it back to you. And so I made an appointment on Rota, which was easy as pie, beautiful user interface um, for the work that I wanted done. The valet showed up at around 10 o'clock at my house as exactly on time. Very easy. Just handed him my keys. He drove off with my car. About an hour later, April called me. She said, here are some things that we found with your car in addition to what you want to do. She sent me videos that Michael... Wait, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a car nerd, so I like want to know the nitty gritty of what's happening because I, I don't know stuff. A million percent. They sent me this video. There was a particular belt that was had broken and they sent me a video of it. And they sent me a list of sort of here are the things that were recommended. Here are the things that seemed urgent to fix. And I could choose what I wanted to fix and sent that back to them, which took me like three minutes. Michael, the technician, fixed it. They then texted me and said, oh, your car's on the way back. My car was back in front of my house at 2.30. I'd given it to them at 10. It was back in front of my house that afternoon. Also, note, the valet did a much better job parking in front of my house than I do. (laughs) Don't they always? So much closer to the curb. And it was an incredibly pleasant, super easy experience. And they were very trustworthy. They were clear about what they were going to fix. And it was incredibly convenient. Yeah. So this like seems like a dream. Uh, I have used them before, but it's been a bit. Would you use them again for something like this? I would use Rhoda again in a second. I would use Rhoda. And they have a discount for us too, for CityCast listeners. So if you go to Rhoda.com, they have the discount code CityCast20 and you get 20% off. Sweet. Uh, Plots, David, thank you so much 
for talking with me. Again, CityCast listeners, you get 20% off off any Rota service up to $100 using the code CityCast20. So go to Rota.com. That's R-O-D-A.com to book your appointment. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. Well, along the lines of that that buzzword right now, accountability, we know that in the wake of the murder of George Floyd in 2020, D.C. was really on a journey along with other cities to have some police reforms that might hold police more accountable for their actions. But now that crime is rising, there has been pressure on the city to roll back those reforms. And I feel like that's a bit of what we're seeing here. So I guess what I'm asking is like, are those reforms actually tied to rising crime or is it just perceived that way? Is it just easy to sort of frame it that way? So you're right, Bridget, that this bill rolls back several police reforms that the D.C. Council has passed. One that's coming to mind is it loosens restrictions on vehicular pursuits. And so this begs the question, is this direction that the bill is going actually helpful? And it's a it's a very, very complicated question. There have been a lot of different confounding factors over the last few years that have led to an increase in crime. We've gone through COVID and we've seen the coronavirus break down various infrastructures that have been key to kids' lives. That is certainly, according to every expert I've talked to, led to an increase in crime committed by people of a high school age, even middle school age. And at the same time, police have cited really low morale after the social justice, racial justice protests in the wake of George Floyd's killing, and D.C. police staffing numbers are quite low. And there's also a lot of agreement that that's a problem. And so the city council and legislators in D.C. are in this precarious position of needing to legislate change to make people safer quickly without really understanding exactly what led us to this place. And that is hard and also a bit dangerous because we don't know if this is going to help or create new problems. Do you have any sense of that? Do you have any sense of whether or not that's going to help or potentially create new problems? You know, I really don't know. And I feel confident saying that I really don't know because I'm hearing such different things from different people. And I haven't seen a definitive study or anything of the sort that that sort of parses through all the different changes that we've gone through over the last few years. I do think a lot of these reforms passed in 2020 and afterwards are really important and increase accountability, again, a word we love, on the police department. And it's crucial to, as a city, not lose sight of that and then end up at the same place in five years. But instead of looking toward offenders to have more accountability, we're all of a sudden looking back at the police department. So 
you know, everyone talks about this pendulum swinging between being too lenient and too punitive. And my question, I guess, is at a time when we have such firepower in research and urgency, and there's so much political will to address this issue, can we enact change without swinging too far to the point that we just have to undo it all? Mm. You know, it really does get at that tension that I'm certainly feeling. And I think people in the city are feeling of, you know, wanting there to be accountability, but also not wanting to feel like you're living someplace where crime is just allowed to run wild and really trying to find that balance that feels good, that feel that allows for people to feel like they live in a city where their safety is taken seriously, but also they live in a city where police will be held accountable if they do something wrong. Right. I think D.C. is a city that in many ways over the last few years has prided itself on being progressive and saying that people, and especially kids, need opportunity more than they need punishment. And we finished, as we discussed recently, the last year with more homicides than in any year since 1997 and more congressional oversight than we've seen in about 30 years. So D.C. leaders are being questioned right now. And I think this omnibus package that you're seeing is in many ways a result of that. Something I found interesting is that one of the pieces missing from this bill is a policy that Pinto herself had actually proposed last year, which would have allowed police to randomly stop or seize people on probation for gun convictions. Why was that omitted? Yeah, that particular provision in one of Councilmember Pinto's earlier bills drew a lot of criticism and people opposed to its inclusion in any sort of D.C. law felt like it really gave police way too much power to stop anybody, search anybody without real reason. And so people who look a certain way, who sound a certain way, would just be subject to harassment by police. And in unveiling this new legislative package, Councilmember Pinto acknowledged the criticism and said she had learned that there was no real way to put in place this law without, or this policy without violating people's rights, or at least getting too close to that for comfort. So she took that feedback and moved forward without that particular provision. Do we have any sense of how Mariel Bowser is feeling about this law? And what about other council members? Mayor Bowser came out quickly in support of this legislative package. It includes some of some some provisions that she has herself put forward in earlier bills. So it was clear from the beginning that she was closely aligned, likely pretty involved in this process. So Mayor Bowser is a cheerleader for this particular legislative package. I think a lot of people expect it to pass in terms of council member support. Pinto has said she will bring it out of the Judiciary Committee this coming Wednesday and then bring it for a full vote before the council on January 23rd. She signaled confidence in the package passing. I think the question is what version of it goes forward. And in thinking about this idea that like certain parts of this legislation, folks feel like it would just give police impunity to stop anybody, do anything to anybody. Have you heard from criminal justice advocates like the ACLU about how they're feeling about this crime bill? Yeah, I was actually just talking to a few lawyers who specialize in a, in a civil rights space. And they have real concerns with it. They have concerns with various provisions that make it harder for a police oversight body to obtain records 
when they're investigating a certain person, and they express a lot of concern with provisions that make it easier to detain people pre-trial. And now that's not everybody who would be, be easier to detain, but it's certainly a significant subset of people charged with violent crimes. So they feel like D.C. is really moving in the wrong direction, that we should stick to our convictions, that we are better as a city and, and as a nation when we afford more opportunity to people who need it instead of maybe locking people up for really long periods of time. So, yeah, there's there's concern about this piece of legislation, and there's also a lot of support for it. So you said earlier that you're pretty confident this is going to pass through council, right? In some form. I think there could be revisions and tweaks, but in some form, I do, from what I've heard, that seems to be the case with the evergreen caveat that council members and politicians are human beings and can change their minds. <laughs> so if it does pass through council, it'll have to be approved by Congress, like all D.C. laws. How do you think the federal government is going to feel about this? What we've seen from the federal government is support for policies that are more punitive and quote-unquote accountability-oriented. So I expect Congress to have no problem with this piece of legislation. And I think it's important to note here, too, that a lot of community members in, in areas of D.C. that are particularly hard hit by crime may also be in support of parts of this law. They would love, some, some parents in these neighborhoods would really love to see people who they know have committed crimes off of their blocks and held if they are awaiting trial. Now, there are, as we've discussed, concerns with that approach, but a lot of people feel that way and very viscerally. Emily, I feel like every time you're here, I end with this question. I know you are sick of me asking, but I got to <laughs> ask again, do you think this bill will actually help target the crime issues that D.C. is facing? I'm talking about the crimes that were really top of mind for us, things like car thefts and homicide. Like, is it really going to make a difference? This bill slightly changes the definition of carjacking. It's a subtle part of the legislation, but I think we could see more carjacking charges, period, if this goes through in its current form. And about homicides, I mean, that is the question in many ways. Does this piece of legislation have the power and the right policies in place to stop people from dying in D.C.? It's so hard to say. We're two weeks, less than two weeks into the year right now when we're recording this so far, and I'm knocking on every piece of wood around me. There have been fewer homicides than in the first two weeks of last year. It's way too small of a sample size to draw any sort of conclusion, but we can just hope that this trend continues. Well, I appreciate ending on that little bit of a, a hopeful note. Emily, thank you for covering this. Thank you for being here. Sadly, I'm sure that we will, we will be talking about this issue for a long time to come in D.C., so we'll talk to you again soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you. That's all for today here on CityCast D.C. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and tell a friend, rate the show, and subscribe to our Morning Sister newsletter at dc.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.